We've heard lots of sermons about personal work. We've heard sermons that tell us how to do personal work. We've heard sermons that command us to do personal work. We've heard sermons that make us feel guilty for not doing personal evangelism. But have we ever talked about all the joys and benefits of personal evangelism? Oftentimes, we think about personal evangelism and we think about the costs. The things that it's going to take from us. The things that it's going to cost us. Time, study, sometimes money. Fear of rejection. But have we ever thought about the numerous blessings that would come to us as children of God who are carrying forth God's message and evangelizing those who are lost and dying in sin? Tonight, I would like to share with you some of the joys and some of the blessings that can come from spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ just in your daily life. I'd like to share with you a few of those things, some of the blessings that I have enjoyed. The very first thing that I want to share with you as we consider these joys and blessings is the honor of being God's worker. There's a certain amount of joy and blessing that simply comes from getting to be a part of the plan. And not just any plan, mind you. We're a part of God's plan. God has particularly handpicked us. And despite all His power, despite all that He could do by Himself to accomplish the salvation of the masses, He has chosen you to be His ambassador and to be His representative. Think about this. If your very favorite president had called you on the phone and handpicked you and said, I need you to be my representative, how would you feel about that? Would you feel honored, elated? Would you be happy that he thought enough of you, that he wanted you to be a spokesperson for him? That's exactly how we ought to feel when God has chosen us to be his messengers. His ambassadors. Look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. Paul said, How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Beautiful feet. He says this is an honor. This is a great thing. And we are made beautiful by this. What a joy and a blessing. In fact, consider what this says. If you back up in verse 13, it says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. God is pointing out to us through Paul that we are an integral part. We are an important part. We can't be replaced. Now, yes, I know that any one of us of individuals can be replaced. But God has said, despite all His power, that He's not going to do this. He's left it up to us. And He's chosen you to be His ambassadors, to have these beautiful feet and bring good news of good things. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 52. And as we look in Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at about verse 7, we see a greater context here. In Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, the Scripture reads, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your 
God reigns. Listen, he says. Your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth. Shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. You see what Isaiah is pointing out? Isaiah is letting us know that there is joy and blessing in simply being the watchman and the proclaimer of God's good news. We get to be God's worker. We ought to be honored. What a blessing that is that comes to us when we are involved in personal evangelism. Secondly, I think one of the greatest joys and blessings that comes from being involved in personal evangelism is significance. A purposed life as we can fulfill a greater purpose and do something significant. One of my all-time favorite poems ever written was written by a man named Percy Bysshe Shelley, and the name of the poem is Ozymandias. And in the midst of this poem, it tells the story of a traveler in Egypt who said he found this broken-down statue, a huge statue that he could tell at one time was carved magnificently. And he says at the base of this statue are the words, I am Ozymandias. King of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. He said that he looked around that colossal wreck, and he didn't find any massive works. He didn't see any buildings. He saw desert sand. I imagine there's not more than one or two of you here, maybe there are, who know who Ozymandias is. Anybody know who Ozymandias is? One, two. And I know the one back there knows because I told him the other day. Ramses II, Pharaoh of Egypt, possibly Pharaoh during the time of Moses, king of the known world, regarded by his people as God on earth, builder of magnificent cities, but what is left? Barren wasteland and desert. Things seemed significant in his life at the time, but now, thousands of years later, what's happened? Time has eroded it, and what seemed to be the most significant person in the world has accomplished nothing. Only two people here even knew who he was. And that's because somebody told us in a literature class. Not very significant, is it? There are all kinds of things we can be involved in, brethren. But over time, they will amount to nothing. But evangelism is significant. Because not only are we impacting those who are around us right now, we are involved in a process that impacts our world for years to come. I want you to think about this. Look in John 17 and verse 20. In John chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus said in John 17, 20, as He was praying to God, He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. The these alone there are the apostles. He said, I'm not just asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in Me through their work. 
He said, these folks are going to have an impact on others who are going to believe. And what happens? Do you realize who he's praying for there? He's praying not only for the apostles, but for the folks that they taught. And then the folks that they taught. And then the folks that they taught. And for all the work that happened over the last 2,000 years to bring us to this point and brought us here. How did this happen? 2,000 years ago, 11 men started preaching and writing down what was being revealed to them. And they passed it on from one person to another. And they wrote it down and that's been passed on from one person to another until it finally got to us. Now, is that significance? Is that an impact? 2,000 years, their message is still affecting lives. And we can be a part of that process. We can be a part of those people who take it from ourselves and pass it on to the next generation. And they'll pass it on. And we'll be accomplishing something significant that will last not only throughout the history of our world, but also throughout eternity. As the folks whose lives we impact will be allowed by God's grace to enter heaven. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. How do we get involved in this? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul told Timothy, he said, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul said, that's what you've got to do to be a part of this significant work. And we can have significance. We can be doing something meaningful that will not be eroded with time by passing the gospel on to others. What a blessing. What a joy that is to know that that we're doing something that's worth something, that's going to remain, not only throughout this world, but throughout eternity. That's powerful. The third blessing and joy of personal evangelism, I didn't know any better way to say this than just to call it the joys of parenthood. And I think about passages like 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, as Paul spoke about Timothy, he said, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. And then flip over a few pages to Titus chapter 1 and verse 4. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul said, To Titus, my true child in a common faith. And then Philemon and verse 10. As Paul wrote to Philemon, he said, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Paul looked at these men with whom he had worked, whom he had converted, whom he had helped grow, and he said, these are my children. There are joys that go along with that. I think about what John said in 3 John and verse 4. 3 John and verse 4 as he wrote to this unknown congregation, but he said to them in 3 John and verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. The people that I've taught and brought into Christ, they're walking in the truth. And what do you say to that cause him? Joy. And it's the joys that we have with parenthood. All of us who have had children know that there are joys that go along with that. First of all, there's just the joy of bringing them into this world. And then there's the joy of getting them, seeing them stand up for the first time and walk for the first time and talk for the first time and say mommy and daddy for the first time. Getting their first tooth, losing their first tooth, riding the bike for the first time. These are all joyful things, right? Of course they are. Paul demonstrated as he talked to Timothy and Titus and Philemon. And John demonstrated that that's exactly the same kind of joy we get to have when we're involved in personal evangelism, when we're teaching people and bringing them into the family of God. 
producing other Christians. We get those same kinds of joy and blessing. Because everything we see them do, just like with our kids, and one of the things that's joyful about it is we know that maybe they're the one riding the bike or maybe they're the one that's accomplishing whatever it is they're accomplishing, but we're kind of a part of that, right? Because we brought them here and we got them to this point. And it's that same kind of joy when we're dealing with folks that we've converted into Christ. What a joy. What a happiness. Now, yes, we're talking about bringing babes into Christ. There's going to be some sleepless nights. Parents, you remember that? Of course. There's going to be some scuffed knees. There's going to be some pain. And there will be even crushing pain at times when some of those that we brought into Christ fall away. That'll happen. But how many parents who look back over their parenting look at the pains and say, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't have had any of my kids. Not a single one of us. Every single one of us would say, despite some of the pains, the joy was worth it. Sure, there's some pains in parenting Christians. But the joys are worth it. As we get to see them grow in Christ, overcoming temptation, understanding passages for the first time, teaching others for the first time. What a great joy and blessing that is. But only when you're involved in the evangelism. The fourth blessing. Personal growth. Maturity comes from this. No doubt there is a time in which every single one of us should be nothing more than students, learners, as we're trying to drink in the Word of God. But there comes a time for each of us when we ought to be able to branch out and begin to teach others at least what we already know and what convinced us to become children of God. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 demonstrates this principle. In Hebrews chapter 5, And verse 12, the Hebrew writer said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. No doubt there's a time when we were infants and we needed milk because we weren't accustomed to the word of God. But the more of that that we eat, we ought to grow and come to the meat, and we ought to become teachers. Now, a lot of times we use this passage to browbeat folks. Let's not do that. Let's use this as a passage of hope, because I know, I mean, you haven't told me, and I don't know who the particular individuals are, but I know that we've got people here today that say, I want to teach, but I just don't think I'll ever be able to. This passage provides us hope, because it says that every single one of us, at some point, will be able to. And that's something we ought to be striving for. But here's the key that I'm really wanting us to note tonight. Just as the milk of the Word would help us grow to the point of being teachers, once we become teachers and now we're on the meat of the Word, guess what it continues to do? It continues to help us grow. Everyone who's ever been a teacher very well understands that teaching caused them to grow more than just being a student. They had to read more. They had to study more. They had to apply themselves more. They had to memorize more. And all of these things cause the Word of God to sink into our hearts. It causes growth. It causes maturity. Those who are teaching, guess what we have to do? We've got to watch our step more because we know folks are watching us, aren't they? Because they've heard us teach. Some are out there wanting to see our example so they can be encouraged to do the same. Some are out there wanting to see us fall so that they can come up with a reason why not to follow. But nevertheless, we're being watched. What's that cause? 
causes growth, maturity. Here's one of the amazing things, maybe a paradox we might consider. I don't know how many people I've talked to who say, I I, want to teach, but I just not right now because I can't ever remember where to find all the right passages. Do you know when you will begin to remember where all the right passages are? When you start teaching. Because you know when you remember? When you have to use it. If memorization and finding passages is nothing more than a rote exercise, you're not going to remember it. If it's just a Bible class exercise that you go through every once in a while, you won't ever remember where those passages are. But you start talking with somebody who wants to argue that you don't have to be baptized, and I tell you what, it won't take you too many times, you'll start to remember about Acts 2.38 and Mark 16.16 16 and 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. You'll remember those passages. When you start talking to folks who want to discuss miraculous gifts, you'll start remembering 1 Corinthians 13. When you start talking to folks who teach once saved, always saved, you'll start remembering 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. You'll remember those things. Why? Because you've got to. No doubt your first couple of attempts will be filled with halts and stumbles and, hey, I'll get back with you. But the more you do it, the more you remember it. Our brain is an amazing thing and it remembers what it uses. And so if you're saying, I don't want to get involved in evangelism yet because I can't remember where all the passages are, you aren't ever going to get started. You'll remember after you start. And you start working at it. And you start using it. Then you'll remember. And guess what? That's called growth. That's called maturity. And you can get that when you teach. When you're involved in evangelism, when you're spreading the gospel, when you're sitting down with people and you're studying with them. Even when you're studying with them questions that you don't know the answers to, the work that you have to go through will help you grow and mature. The fifth joy of personal evangelism, eternal investments. Remember this morning's lesson as we talked about figures of speech? We went to one passage in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Now, we learned this morning that he's not saying we're not allowed to own things. It's a figure of speech. You remember which one it was? There's an ellipsis. Words were left out. He says, don't just, don't only store up treasures on earth, but primarily store up treasures in heaven. That's where your focus needs to be. Storing up treasures in heaven. Eternal investments. We can save all kinds of money. We can have bank accounts with huge sums of money in them. We can live in the nicest, most expensive houses. We can drive the coolest cars. We can own the latest technological gadgets. But all of that will amount to nothing. We can't take that with us when we die. You remember the rich man in Luke 12 that had a great crop and he said, oh, I'm going to build bigger barns. What did God say to him? Fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. And then whose will it be? Even if we live to the end, when the earth is destroyed, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10-12 through 12, demonstrates that all this stuff is going to be burned up. 
temporary, no matter how long we might have it. And so he says we need to have some eternal investments. Teaching others the gospel is an eternal investment. It is building treasure in heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, Paul said, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, I've got to tell you, there's some things about this passage I'm not sure that I understand. But I'll tell you what I see here. He says when we build on that foundation of Christ, as we build up that temple, bringing stones unto that temple, bringing others into the family of God, we'll be rewarded. Eternal investments. Now, as I understand it here, his point is, as long as we're building on the foundation, we'll be saved. No doubt, there may be some that we teach the gospel to who become great vessels of honor. Gold, silver, precious gems that survive the fire. But no doubt, sadly, there will be some that will be no more than hay or straw. And in the judgment, they'll be burned up because they fell away. And what a pain that'll be for us, to our hearts. And yet, because we were building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. What is that? It's an eternal investment. Storing up treasure in heaven so that we can be received by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and those who have gone on before us in the family of God. What a blessing and a joy that is as we lay those stones. Finally, the sixth joy or blessing is just the ability to give heaven joy. Do you like to make others feel good? Most of us like that. I know that there are a few people that don't. They like to make people feel bad. We need to give you another lesson. But most of us like to make people feel good. That's why we buy birthday gifts and send Christmas cards. That's why when we're on vacation, we get postcards and send it back to folks because we like them to know we're thinking about them. We want them to be happy. We want to cheer them up, right? Can you imagine being involved in something that provides joy in heaven? How much greater is that? You can't send a postcard. What can you do? You can bring a sinner to repentance. Look in Luke 15. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus, while teaching with parables, said, In Luke 15 and verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, In the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you see what this passage is saying? 
you can do something that affects the mood in heaven by bringing a sinner to repentance. There's more joy in heaven, brethren, by us bringing one sinner to repentance than by the 99 faithful that are here tonight and come back every Sunday night. We can cause joy in heaven by being involved in this. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to be able to do that? I think we all do. How significant this is. Being involved with personal evangelism has so many blessings and joys for us. we just got to do it. Get involved in it. I just want to encourage you to step out and be more and do more than you're doing right now. I don't expect anybody to be the Apostle Paul by next week. I don't expect to be the Apostle Paul by next week. But we can all do a little bit more. Let me ask you, how much inviting have you been doing? I handed 15 things right before services stuck in that pocket. You been giving out any of these cards? I don't know if you can see it. This is the invitation card. You've been inviting folks, handing it to them, letting them know about the services that we have here and the worship that's going on. What about the Dalla devotion? Have you been in handing those out, letting folks know? We've got several correspondence courses going right now, a contact with two of them that might turn into studies. Are you involved in that? By the way, just so you'll know, I've decided to start changing the message over the weekend as well because... Friday, we'd always get tons of calls come Monday. It'd be just a few. And so I think maybe folks get out of the habit over the weekend. So we start changing the messages throughout the weekend as well. Have you been inviting folks to call? That's a part of evangelism. You can do that. Let folks know about what's going on here. Have you invited folks to study? Have you just told them about what God's done in your life? When somebody says to you on Monday morning, what did you do this weekend? Do you say, oh man, I went fishing on Saturday. Or do you say, let me tell you, I got to get together with the saints and we worship God. That was awesome. What are you involved in? When we have visitors, do you talk to them? Do you invite them back? Do you see if they'd like to get together and study? Are you working with folks to help them grow in Christ? You know, not all personal evangelism is with lost folks. Sometimes it's with the folks who are already part of us that need help. Are you doing that? What are you doing? There are so many blessings available to us if we will simply be involved in God's work. And you can have these blessings. How about this week? Think about something you can do. It'll be just a little bit more. And get involved. And you can start these eternal investments. And be involved in something significant.